Good morning, St. Louis Crossing, church, family, and friends. Well, here we are, 2020 Memorial Day weekend. I would imagine the celebrations that we have this year may be a little different from years past, but may we keep in mind and be ever mindful of the men and women who gave their lives to protect our freedom that served in the armed forces and military. Uh, God has blessed us country immensely, and I just pray that his hand will continue to guide us. Over the past few weeks, or actually a few months, some of us were quarantined to the house, and I was one of those individuals. And something that I did that was a little different, I pulled out three totes of pictures, old black and whites of my family, that probably some of them dated back 100 years. Well, you know, I loved going through those pictures, the old black and whites, because a lot, most of my family is gone. I had a lot of good memories, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears. Uh, but you know what? Those pictures help to keep a story alive. Um, here at uh, St. Louis Crossing, we've pulled a couple of scrapbooks out from the Old Testament um, to keep the story of God's redemption alive in our own lives. Brother Jake share, shared uh, with us about Sarah in the last week. Brother Tim shared about Enoch. By flipping through the pages, some of the characters of the Old Testament, we were reminded of their stories and challenged by their faith. This morning, we're going to journey through and look at another portrait of a character in God's Word, Old Testament. Her name is Ruth. But before we do so, let's bow and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that we can come together this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will flood our hearts Open our ears and hearts to hear from you this morning. Lord, we're going to read from Ruth and we're going to learn from that. And Lord, I know that you're going to speak to us and I'm excited about uh, how, what you'll do with this message in our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ruth is four chapters long. It's only 85 verses long. And we follow one family and a foreign woman named Ruth as they seek out a living during the really difficult days of Judges. Uh, just to give you an idea of what that was like, it was a time of moral chaos, uh, national instability. But in the last uh, chapter of Judges, in um, Judges 21-25, it said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Can you think of how scary that could be? If everyone did right in their own eyes, how chaotic and dark that would have been. Well, according to Jewish tradition, the book of Ruth was written by the, um, by the prophet Samuel, the last judge of Israel, and the one who anointed the king David. The account of Ruth will take you uh, through some unexpected turns and twists. It's a real interesting story. Ruth's story is for people who wonder where God is, when one tragedy after another pounds their lives. This story we're going to go through today is for people who wonder whether a life of integrity is, is tough. Is, is it going to be worth it, even though it's tough? And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come out of their simple lives. We're going to walk through this precious story, and may I remind you, it's the inspired word of God uh, that we're reading from this morning and we're hearing from. If we, and as we look at chapter 1, it's laced with so many details. I'm going to read specifically Ruth um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. But I want to uh, let you know that it covers a period of time, 10 years of time. And it's 
contains some simple words that state some really hard, cold facts for one family. I'm not going to start in verse 1. It says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her son took Moab her sons took Moab women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. May God add his blessing to this portion of his word. Any Jew of the ancient world would have picked up a few things on those scriptures that we read. And I want to kind of point some of those out that help us really feel and soak into the scripture. First of all, we hear the term famine. Well, for every Israelite, they knew the cause and effect relationship that God had made known between idolatrous worship and the onset of a famine. God had promised to bless them if they obeyed. But if they turned to idols, he promised to shut the heavens so it would not rain and the ground would yield no produce. We read that in Deuteronomy eleven sixteen through 17. There's a territory that's mentioned. It's Moab, M-O-A-B. Moab was located approximately 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And I assure you, it was not a traveling destination for Israelites. It wasn't a vacation destination. It was a pagan land whose inhabitants worshipped a god named Chamash. And to tell you how grievous it was, they sacrificed babies to this god. God had levied some of his harshest words against the Moabites, and Israel was to have nothing whatsoever to do with them. So you begin to put the pieces together. Elimelech is trying to avoid consequences of Israel's sin against God. But in doing so, he puts his family in spiritual jeopardy. And sure enough, his two sons, they do what? They marry Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Verses 3 and five through 5 are pretty short, but they're full of agony, we hear. The three men of Naomi's life die, the finishing stroke on a de decade, the 10 years included Naomi's hunger and losing those she loved. It was blow after blow uh, in her life. And you need to know that in those days, the women, when they were alone, when they lost their husbands, they had absolutely nothing. These three widows had absolutely no social standing, uh, no economic means to survive. They were essentially equal to maybe even less than our homeless people are today. This was compounded even more for Naomi since she was an Israelite living in a foreign country. So that helps us know the setting here. So it's no surprise when we read in verses 6 and 7 that the Lord had visited his people, the Israelites, and had given them food. Well, Naomi, she picked up on that immediately, and she wanted to start heading towards home. Naomi strongly urges Orpah and Ruth to stay in your homeland. And that's uh, where you have some hope of getting married and having a family. Naomi painted a pretty grim picture for these girls, holding out nothing to them. 
um, just saying that they would be widow, uh, widowhood, childless, and possible destitutes if they didn't stay. Well, Orpah decided to stay, and in tears she says her goodbye. But Ruth, she felt some devotion to her mother-in-law, and she refused to leave. In one of the most endearing parts of the story, Ruth pledges herself to Naomi with such, such lasting covenant words. And I want to read it to you from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It reads, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Can you imagine Naomi in the position she was in? What a gift this was for Ruth to commit like that. But you know what? Naomi was too depressed to let herself feel any comfort at this point. She had no hope of anything good in her future, and she was numb by pain. And I love the scripture as it shows us. It says, as she enters Bethlehem, the women in town see a haggard woman and said, is that Naomi that we see in verse 19? And just to tell you what the name Naomi means, it means pleasant or sweet. But such a name mocked her in this situation. She answers back in verses 20 through 21. She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Well, sadly enough, chapter 1 does end in despair and gloom, and convinced that God is against her, Naomi just bathes in her hopelessness. You know, sometimes when we get in that, we just want to stay in it, and I think that's where Naomi was. But it was God who broke that cycle. He broke the famine, and it was God who bound Ruth, or Naomi, to Ruth, and Ruth to Naomi. And we're soon going to find out there was a dawn of rejoicing about to come. As we head to chapter 2, it covers a 24-hour day in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. And I really encourage you today or tomorrow this week to read the four books of Ruth. I'm trying to touch on it and give you the highlights of scriptures, but I encourage you to read it on your own as well. But um, Naomi and Ruth, before the sun sets, the table have been completely turned for them both this day. They have to wait until day's end to see it. But we're going to get a hint in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of a clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Well, here's another name that's coming into our story. As this chapter unfolds, we learn that Boaz has a good reputation as a God-saturated man. He's, he's got character, he's kind, he's good to his employees, but the thing that put a grin on the faces of the Jewish listeners of that time was that he was related to the deceased Elimelech. The importance of that we'll see here in a little bit. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Back in verse 3, we find a hungry Ruth who goes out to glean with the poor. She had no deliberate plan about which field she was going to work. But she just finds one. She rolls up her sleeves and starts gleaning. But what on the surface to her appears to be a wild coincidence is not. Because we know God uh, doesn't work by coincidence. 
Ruth just happens to find out she's working in a field that's owned by none other than Boaz. God was behind this, and just like he's behind all the details of our lives, whether we know it or not, there are no coincidences. Well, Boaz spots the cute little brunette gleaning with the poor, and all I can say, well, it was love at first sight. I believe we can determine that from the scriptures. He goes out of his way to show her favor, giving her secret instructions to his, or giving secret instructions to the workers to deliberately leave some sheaves for her. When Ruth goes home to Naomi and recounts the details, the light suddenly clicks on for Naomi. And when she heard the name of their benefactor, Boaz, her mourning turned to dancing, Scripture tells us. In verse 20, it says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. So here at this point in chapter uh, 2, we think everything is fine, and we move into chapter 3, which is going to give us a renewed renewed hope and maybe a little risky uh, proposal. For some of you, chapter 3 can take your breath away, and Ruth continues to glean in Boaz's fields as she was until the harvest is over. It was then that Naomi um, comes up with a risky strategy to make make a husband out of Boaz. This mother-in-law turned matchmaker. And we all know the women that can turn into matchmakers. Naomi was one of them. She knows that Boaz is a kinsman. And she knows the Mosaic Law, which has a provision to preserve the family name. If a husband died and there was no son to perpetuate the family name, the nearest kin was obligated to marry the widow. So Naomi... The mother-in-law, she counsels Ruth, fix herself up. Because you got to remember, this, this girl's been working uh, in the fields, and she's sweaty, and she's probably doesn't smell too good and pretty dirty. And So she says, come on, Ruth, let's, let's pretty up here. Put your best dress on, your perfume, and let's go to the, go to the threshing floor uh, where Boaz will be. Because the men would remain with the grain overnight. So she tells him, watch where he lays down to sleep, but don't let him see you. After he's asleep, sneak up and cover his feet and then lie down. Now, all of us, and possibly Ruth included, can't help but wonder aloud, why do you, where do you suppose this is going to lead? But Naomi says in verse 4, he, Boaz, will tell you what to do. We can feel the suspense of this as Ruth plays out Naomi's strategy when Boaz turns over in the middle of the night and awakens. In verse 8, he discovers this woman lying at his feet and wants to know who, he, who is she. And Ruth identifies herself and then says in verse 9, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Well, this is Ruth's subtle way of making a marriage proposal. She humbly sells she humbly tells him, there's a family link in the Mosaic law that you are obligated to. But I want you to know that if you would have me as your wife, I will agree. Well, Boaz agrees to marry her, but there's yet one problem. The problem being, Boaz knows of a nearer kinsman than he to Elimelech's family. This could have been a real deal breaker for this whole thing, but I'm amazed to share with you what happens in chapter 4 with a simple exchange of a sandal. 
Uh, I invite you, if you have your scriptures open, I'm going to read from chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Verse 1 reads, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Verse 2, Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Set here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has a right to do it except you. And then I'm next in line. Verse 5, then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Verse 6, at this the guardian redeemer said that I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and the transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So as we close on verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. And so it was that a foreigner, a Moabite from a condemned country, was brought into a covenant relationship with God. During one of the darkest times in Israel history, a most unlikely young lady gives birth to a boy named Obed of whom we're going to speak up more in here in a little bit. But I want to conclude this morning by drawing three lessons or applications from Ruth this morning. First of all, I think we all need to hear this. I need to hear this. Rest in the mighty hand of God. The sovereign hand of God touches everything in this precious book. The great lesson of Ruth is that God is at work in every circumstance. His visible hand steers us according to his good purposes, whether we see it or not. Ruth had gone through some terrible things, but in every difficulty, every question, and every brokenness, we find she found the, the beginning of God's grace as we do when we find ourselves in the similar places. Another thing we can glean from this is character. Always cultivate your character and work on your character. When you're a follower of Christ, God's word as you read it, as the Holy Spirit fills us, uh, he imparts uh, the, these qualities into our character. Character is what you are when nobody's looking or watching. Ruth had no idea that her story would be showcased for millions to read, yet showed incredible character in her obscurity. She went above and beyond in showing her respect and honor to a, really a bitter mother-in-law, she worked hard in the field to provide food for her and Naomi, and Ruth proved to be a woman of integrity with Boaz. Everything she did represented a woman of character, and God honored her. Her love shone through with loyalty. She stayed with her mother-in-law when she didn't have to. She didn't want to waver in her faith in the one true God. Even through her losses, she was industrious, she was humble, yet bold, willing to risk herself 
and her faith in God. Well, this morning, I want to show you a portrait on the screen that you'll see. A screen that includes several characters in it. I want you to look at this picture. It gives a visual of the scripture that Brother Tim read to you earlier in chapter 4, verses 13 and following. The picture, we see Ruth at the left and next to her husband, Boaz. And then beaming with joy is Naomi. Now we see Naomi smiling here. We haven't seen her smile through the scriptures until she gets to this point. She's holding a baby, not just any baby. This child is named Obed. Perhaps one of the best parts of Ruth's story is the legacy that God established through her. God brought her and Boaz together and they conceived a child. That child would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Ruth, a Moab woman, was made part of the lineage of Christ. If you commit your life to God, there's no limit to what God can do through you. It wasn't an easy life for Ruth, and she grew up in a wicked nation. She suffered the loss of her husband. She followed Naomi to a foreign land and lived in poverty. All very difficult circumstances, to say the least. However, as I pointed out, we can see, we can see God's fingerprints all over Ruth's story, and there's no doubt that he was at work the entire time. No matter what season you are in your life right now, uh, remember that God is at work. He's weaving a beautiful tapestry. It's not finished, but it's in progress. Know that God is gracious, good, and that He loves you. If you find yourself discouraged on this journey, take another look at the life of Ruth and remember that God works for the good of His people. And lastly, receive the Redeemer. Just as Ruth saw reality in Naomi's faith and wanted it for herself, someone listening this morning, you may want that Redeemer in your life. Ruth and Orpah help us see the options that we have. They both had the opportunity to turn their backs on what they were worshiping, the pagan gods, and follow the one true God. Orpah had started out to follow Naomi, yet she decided to turn her back and be enslaved to the pagan gods, whereas we hear and celebrate Ruth's obedience and faithfulness. This morning, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. The bad news is we're all slaves to sin. We have no hope of overcoming it without a redeemer. In the story that we've heard from Ruth, Ruth is symbolic of us in this story. Boaz symbolizes Jesus our kinsman, redeemer. That's our good news. Boaz is the one who is able to redeem Ruth, and Jesus is the one who is able to redeem us. Jesus Christ is that redeemer. He's the king, the descendant of David, an actual descendant of Ruth and Boaz. Have you received Jesus Christ as your redeemer? The Bible tells us that we can do that by believing in him and confessing that belief to him. If you don't remember anything else, I hope you'll hear this scripture this morning from Romans 10.9, which reads, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you need to be redeemed, then receive Christ by confessing your belief in him. I'm grateful for the story of Ruth. I'm grateful that Ruth found her redeemer 
and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to share with you. Let's bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for that you do speak through your word. It's living and breathing. Father, for those listening uh, this morning that are going through a time similar to Ruth, where you have tragedies, you have so many situations that, uh, that pound your life, Father. I pray that the, they will hear from you this morning and know that you're at work in their life. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory, and we just um, thank you for what you're doing. And the, when we don't see you at work, Father, may we just be ever mindful that you love us so. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.